0: I won't read the psalm again, it's already been read, Uh, but we do know that the psalm is a psalm of David. Um, We do not know exactly uh, when David wrote the psalm, however, there is indication uh, just from reading the psalm that it was written later on in his life, as by this time he had and understood the concept of having uh, enemies, as we see in verse 5. We also see that he had experienced the trials of life as he describes as the valleys of the shadow of death, as we see in verse 4. We also see that it is a psalm of contemplation, contemplation. so that tells us that David, as a content man, is looking back at his life and reflecting on the mercy and goodness of God. Um, I will be uh, quoting different verses as we go through the psalm, but um, keep your finger in the Bible that you have in front of you. On Psalm 23, because I always go back to the actual Psalm as we go verse by verse. I do want us to look at uh, five things uh, specifically, and I've found the five C's. Usually um, I don't force them, but I got away with this one. Um, So the five C's that I want to look at, um, I just want to look at uh, what God is to us, His children. What God is for us, His children. So the first thing that I want to look at is God is our contentment. The second thing is God is our contemplation. The third thing is God is our curer. Probably a better word is healer, but I'll try to go keep it as a C. Um, the fourth one is God is my comfort. And fifth one, God is our consecrator. Uh, so let's look at the first one. God is our contentment. So look with me there in Psalm 23 verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David in the psalm uses the imagery of a shepherd. He himself was a shepherd boy and understood what it was like to be a shepherd caring for sheep in the literal sense. As a shepherd boy, as a young child, David protected his sheep. David testified in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 30, 34 to 35, that when a lion or bear came to attack his sheep in the literal sense, he fought off the bear and lion and protected his own sheep, even risking his own life to do so. Um, We see the imagery of a shepherd being used to refer to Israel's leaders in the Old Testament. We also see the imagery or the illustration of a uh, a shepherd being uh, used to refer to the New Testament church leaders being pastors that care for God's people. The imagery or the illustration of a shepherd uh, climaxed in Jesus Christ, as was also read for us in John chapter 10, a climax in Jesus Christ who referred to himself as the good shepherd. Um, In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And now Jesus is using this as like an illustration or as an imagery in that he refers to sheep here uh, as his people his followers, his children, in the literal sense. Opposite to the good shepherd is the hired worker or the hired hand who does not care about the sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 12, it says, But a hired hand or a hired worker, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come in and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And in verse 13, Jesus goes on to say that the hired worker flees Because he is a hired worker and does not care about the sheep. What Jesus is saying, and as Pastor Joel pointed out in the kids talk, is that Jesus owns his sheep. He owns his people. What David is saying in the psalm is that God is my carer and my keeper. God is the one that owns me. And therefore, he he is my protector. David is saying that God is the one who has my life covered. David is saying that God is my protector and no one can touch my life. David is saying that because God is my shepherd, the one who owns me, the one who owns my life, I am content. And that's our first point this morning that I want us to ponder upon. That because God is our shepherd, because of this fact that God owns us and God protects us, This is where our contentment is found. In other words, my contentment or our contentment as his children is not found in anything outside of the person of God. It's certainly not found in the things of this world. But our contentment is found in God, in Christ, and Christ alone. The outflow, of course, of this true contentment being in God alone is a heart that is satisfied with who God has made me and what God has blessed me with. Yes, of course, Paul did uh, tell Timothy that he has blessed us with all things, including material things, so that we may richly enjoy these things. But my point is that our contentment is not dependent upon these things. Our contentment is found in the person of God and in God alone. Of course, true contentment Enables me the very things, the very material things that God blesses me with. True godly contentment, as we see it in the scriptures, is not dependent on how much or how little we have. Paul also learnt this lesson. Notice with me in um, uh, in Philippians chapter four verse eleven. I'll just read it out. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am am in to be content. I'd really appreciate the transparency of the Word of God, the transparency of the Apostle Paul, where he acknowledges that contentment was something that I learned. In other words, he's acknowledging that it doesn't come natural to me. And contentment doesn't come natural to any one of us. Because as humans, as we go through life, we see things in tangible ways. And by nature, we seek the things of this world. And by nature, we do not seek the things which are above. But of course, by the grace of God and through our submission to God, we learn to be content regardless what state we're in, regardless how much or how little we have, regardless what trials we're going through, or which trials, or regardless whether we're going through high or low seasons in life. We learn to be content through the person of God. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in Philippians 4.12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to have nothing and I know how to control my life when I have a lot. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. This proves that contentment is not dependent upon how, much, how little we have or how much we may have. And the writer of Hebrews 13:5 says, "Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have." Just enjoy the things that you have today is what the word of God is telling us. For he himself has said, "This is why we should just be content with what we have. For he himself has said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." This is God himself. And in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 13, So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's where my contentment is found. In my shepherd helper, in my protector, the one who owns my life. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Contentment is worth more than any amount of things or more than any amount of money. As the reality is, it's not possible to enjoy life or enjoy the things that God blesses us with without true godly contentment. This is why some rich people are miserable and some poor people are happy. And of course it's true that some godly rich people are happy because they've learnt, like the Apostle Paul, to also be content when God blesses them with riches. Of course, riches in and of themselves are not sinful, but it's when we chase after these things. It's when these things control us. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 after Paul warned Timothy and warns us to not chase after the things of this world to not chase after riches to not set our hearts upon these things he goes on to say in verse 6 of chap- chapter 6 to Timothy now godliness with contentment this is great gain Paul says that contentment was something that he learned David speaking later in life presents the secret of contentment as something that happens when one's full trust is in God, our shepherd. When one finally acknowledges that he is my sole owner of my life. David did not say that because God has blessed me with many things, I am content. And keep in mind, David was a rich man as the king of Israel. But rather, he said, I am content because the Lord is my shepherd and my contentment is found in the person of God and the person of God alone. So that's the first thing that we learn, that God is our contentment. The second thing that I want us to focus on is God is our contemplation. God is our contemplation. In other words, God is our meditation. The person of God is who I meditate upon. Look with me in verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, once again, uh, David continues to use the imagery of a shepherd. Um, And in this passage, the green pastures is the tender grass that David is referring to. The fresh first first shoots of grass. And that is the best of the best for the sheep. Sheep don't like weeds or sheep don't like grass that have been neglected. They like the the fresh uh, shoots of grass. Verse 2 says that he, that is God, makes me to lie down in green pastures. In other words, he gives me the best of the best pastures. That is, when sheep have eaten and are satisfied, they lie down and relax in tranquility. Sheep are very timid and they're easily scared. So when you see them lying down in tranquility, you see them satisfied. The shepherd needs to provide this environment for them. It is the shepherd that leads them not only to the green pastures, but also to the still waters. The rough waters are dangerous and they scare the sheep because they're easily scared. But when the shepherd knows this, he leads them to the still waters and the still waters are tranquil and peaceful and they allow the sheep to find rest in that environment. David's spiritual application, or God the Holy Spirit's spiritual application, is that it is God that leads me to peace and tranquil contemplation with himself. He's the one that gives rest to my soul. He's the one that gives me a mind that is able to contemplate on him and him alone and not be distracted by the many voices and many distractions in this life that we live. God is our meditation. In Psalm 63, verse 6, the word of God there reads, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. In other words, the psalmist is saying, My contemplation, my meditation is upon you and you alone. Now I want you to notice something with me in Psalm 23, two. Just look at it with me. The most important word in verse 2 is the word, He. Referring to God. It says there, if you look with me, He makes me lie down in green pastures. And notice with me again, He leads me to the still waters. The reason why it's the most important word in that verse is because it is God who gives me peace. It is God who gives me a sound mind. If it were not for God, we'd all lose our mind. as a child of God, and no doubt you as a child of God would also experience this, I love having my quiet times with God. I love having tranquil time with God. I love just to meditate upon Him and His Word and just spending that intimate time in prayer with no distractions in my mind and my spirit, but just having alone time with Him. But I need to confess that as I reflect back in hindsight, As I've gone through the different trials of life, and we all experience trials of life, they're common to all of us. We all experience the loss of loved ones. We all experience sickness. We all experience various kinds of fiery trials. And they distract us. They distract our souls. They distract our minds. And they oftentimes cause cause us to only meditate upon these negative things that we experience. And when I look back through all the trials that I've experienced, I look and I feel that even during these times where I've come to have this quiet contemplation with God, I find myself meditating upon these distracting things. These things that cause us to be anxious about life. And sometimes we're even anxious about things that haven't even occurred yet. We think ahead and we think of the trials that do await us, and trials do await all of us. And oftentimes these things distract us. But I have learned that it is God that gives me peace, that gives you, his child, peace and tranquility, even through the trials of life. Man, it is miraculous when you see um, uh, uh, Christians go through horrendous trials and yet they're praising God. It's miraculous to see Paul and Silas being put in prison and being stoned and bashed and in tremendous pain yet whilst they were in prison in the midst of their pain they still went through pain it's not superficial the pain is still there but yet they were still able to rejoice and sing praises to god and still lift up their meditation worship and glorify god even through the midst and the hour of the valley of trial where did that come from that comes from God. I have learned that when I'm struggling and when I'm going through the trials of life and when I'm distracted, to turn to God in praise, to turn to God in prayer, to turn to God in thankfulness. And this is what the Apostle Paul teaches us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Philippians 4.6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. And keep in mind, he's writing this in prison. He's practicing what he's preaching. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In verse 7, he goes on to say, And the peace of God, which, passes, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is God, it is the peace of God that guard, guards our hearts and minds, even through the most horrendous trials that we face in life. So we've looked at God is my contentment or our contentment. God is our contemplation, and the third thing, God is our curer or our healer. Look with me in verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me to the path, leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God is the healer of our souls. He is the one that restores our souls. The primary meaning here is that he restores our soul when we are exhausted. When we are emotionally overwhelmed. When we are anxious. When we are weary. When we are sad. God is our reviver when we feel down and out. Jesus said, our great God and Savior, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's talking about spiritual rest because look in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And as David said, he restores our souls. Though that is the primary meaning, of course it is also true that God initially, he is the one who initially regenerates us through his Holy Spirit to give us spiritual life. It is also true that God is the one who heals us when we backslide as his children. Like Asaph, the child of God, experienced, it is God who heals us when we backslide in our thought life. Because of the presence of God, Asaph acknowledged in Psalm 73, 26, when he came to his senses, it was God that brought him to his senses. It was the grace of God that restored his thinking that was that, that went out and thought of the what he perceived to be the prosperity of the wicked. It's God that restored his soul and restored his mind. He said in Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4, God says, I will heal, heal their backsliding, backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has... Turned away from him. That's good news for us, children of God, who do struggle in life. Every time I fall, every time you, child of God, falls, our shepherd healer picks us up and he carries us on his shoulders. Really enjoyed the kids' talk. An illustration that Joshua is the owner of that sheep. And he's the one that carries him and takes him in his bed. And this is why the imagery is used, because it is God that owns us. It is God that picks us up when we fall, that carries us on his shoulders. He is the one that heals me and puts me back on the path of righteousness. Look with me in Psalm 23.3, because I just want to point out Once again, the most important word in Psalm 23.3 is the word he, referring to God. If you look with me there, it is he. He, God. He who restores my weary soul. It is he who puts me on the paths of righteousness. And he does this for his name's sake. That people would see his grace and glory. It is he who does this because the reality is I am unable to do it for myself. That's why he used the imagery of a sheep. Sheep are not able to do all these things for themselves and neither am I and neither are you as the sheep or the child of God. Sheep are wayward and prone to wonder and so are you and so am I. We are saved by grace We are sanctified by grace. We are kept by grace. We are revived by grace. It's all by His grace. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we let go and let God. That's superficial. I'm saying it is by His grace that He enables us to do what He demands of us, to walk in His righteousness. So we've looked at uh, the fact that God is our contentment, our contemplation, our cura. Now the fourth thing I want us to look at is God is our comfort. Look with me in verse 4 in Psalm 23. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valleys of Israel, and those of you that will be attending this trip will uh, notice that Israel is a land of mountains and valleys. The valleys of Israel, especially in David's day, were dangerous places for sheep. To pass from one pasture to another, the sheep would need to travel through the valley. There was no other way. Of course, the sneaky wolves, lions, and bears would hide in the valleys as they waited for the sheep to cross over from one pasture to another. And the sheep had no choice to get to the other side of the pasture, which they needed to do to survive. They needed to go through the valley. There was no way around it. David, by using this metaphor, is acknowledging that through life, there's no way around it. We must go through the valley of the shadow of death. But what he's saying is that, he's not saying that life is trialless, or life is a rosy road, or the Christian life is a bed of roses. No, to the contrary, saying when I even go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because my shepherd is with me. I'm not going alone. My comfort, your comfort as his child, as God's child, is not dependent on a trialless life, but rather our comfort is dependent upon our shepherd who goes through the valley with us. Notice with me in Psalm 34, verse 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. God does not promise a trialless life. Rather, he preps us for a life of many trials. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But notice what he also says, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. So yes, the valleys are here to stay. Utopia is reached when we get to heaven, and thank God for that. But in this life or in this earth, we are promised trials. Even Paul says in Acts 14.22, we must through, uh, sorry, Luke in the book of Acts, we must through many uh, tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Trials will only intensify in our life, in each of our lives. But we need not fear because we have a good shepherd and he is with me. He is with you, his child, even through the trials of life. Described here as the valleys of the shadow of death. David said that I will fear no evil simply because of your presence. Simply because you're with me through the valley. Simply because my shepherd is with me through the trials of life. I need not fear. Now I need to confess something to you um, and that is uh, I'm a, a, a city guy like I'm assuming the majority of you would be here and I've got no idea when it comes to sheep, uh, like no no idea um, by experience. So David speaks here by experience because he was a shepherd boy. Um, I'm speaking to you everything I know via study. Um, so I've got no idea by, by experience um, uh, about sheep. As a matter of fact The only time i ever seen a sheep was at a school farm excursion and i sort of seen it and just sort of wasn't that interested and and kept going. So I've got no idea when it comes to sheep, but I've got a really interesting story. A thought came to my head probably about a couple of years ago. um, And my wife uh, cannot stand animals. It's just a a family genetic thing. Her mum couldn't stand them and her grandmother couldn't stand them. And it's just animals and humans should not live on the same property. That's their, their stigma. Uh, but anyway, I dropped this thought to the children. I said, how about we buy a sheep? And I, I live in suburban Sydney, just like a small backyard. And the kids got all excited, a sheep? Yeah, let's buy it. I said, well, we, we've got to, in one accord, um, beg mum for it. So we approached mum. We said, we need to buy a sheep. And she just looked at our faces and the type of wonderful wife she is. She couldn't say no to us. She, of course, said, who's going to look after her and all the rest of it. And we all promised that we would do it. And once again, I've got no idea about sheep. Anyway, I went on to Gumtree, found the farm sort of on the outskirts of Sydney, drove with Isaac to the farm um, and uh, bought this sheep, put it in uh, Isaac's lap on the way there and started driving and, and got home. We were all excited. Um, put the sheep in the backyard. Long story short, uh, evening came and my neighbor's dog. Thank you, get me started with the neighbor's dog. The neighbor's dog, he doesn't bark as is, doesn't need a sheep, but then all of a sudden there's a little sort of opening in the fence he just looked in and he seen a sheep and the dog was just growling through that fence wouldn't stop barking like at the the sheep and the sheep just started crying like wouldn't stop I'm thinking what am I going to do with this sheep man the the neighbours are going to kill me so I decided to go outside I just the only pet I've ever had was a dog, so I decided to just sit with it and pat it. So I sat this sheep on my lap, and I was just patting the sheep. And to my surprise, and to my first time experience, the danger didn't move. The dog was still there, and the dog was still growling. But because I was just sitting there patting the sheep, it stopped crying. And I found comfort in my presence, even though the actual danger had not been removed. I felt like removing the danger, but don't get me started with that a lot of funny stories about that sheep but um and then someone told me one of the neighbors who grew up in a farm told me that you can't have a sheep on its own they need a partner otherwise it will just keep crying so i convinced angie to go buy another sheep this time i found out another farm and then um the guy told me he was selling me a sheep and what i bought it two weeks later we realized it was a goat so we had a goat and a sheep in the in the backyard And then they ran away and then another time me and Isaac were chasing it up and down the street because it escaped and anyway. But the point to the illustration here is that the valley of the shadow of death or the trials of life will always be there. But as long as God is our shepherd and as long as we're in his presence, we need not fear. In Psalm 23:4, he goes on to say, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was used to guide the sheep, and the staff was used to lead and, and to defend the sheep from attack. In Psalm 23:4, once again, the most important words in verse 4, if you look with me, there are the pronouns you and your, referring to God. But if you look with me, it says, You, my God, are with me. Your In other words, referring to God, you're my God, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sheep are defenseless, needy. Now I know this by experience. Fearful, dependent. They have small teeth and no claws. And I can even tell you this by experience, even when we came to feed them, it's like it tickles your fingers. We've had chickens also, we've convinced Angie with the chickens also. Um, Chickens, and when they peck you, they hurt more than the sheep. And one time I just wanted to have a bit of an experiment, so I lifted the lip of the sheep just to see its teeth, and it had these little small teeth, and it can't even open its mouth more than sort of that much. It just sort of, they're defenseless. No jaws, no sharp teeth, no claws, no nothing. Totally dependent upon their shepherd. And I need to say this, though your sin nature, and though my sin nature may attempt to convince us otherwise, as the sheep of God, as the people of God, as the children of God, we are totally dependent upon Him. Jesus said it, and I believe it, that without Him, we can do nothing. But of course, with Him, through Christ, we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us, that is according to His purpose and will. The fifth and final point is God is our consecrator. Look with me in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I just need to say this, that every godly man has enemies. That's wrong if he has enemies because he's done something wrong. I'm talking about enemies because he's standing up for truth. In 2 Timothy 3:12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. (coughs) Any godly man that lobbies for righteousness is going to be a marked man. We know that our enemies are ultimately God's enemies, as God told Samuel, and they are just letting out their fury on us, his children. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Now the Apostle Paul says, for many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So he's saying that those that resisted him, Paul, were actually the enemies of the cross. They were resisting God. The, the people that Paul was talking about were the group known as the Judaizers who were out to destroy the work of God, the grace of God. The enemies of God who let it out, who let it out on us are seeking to destroy us. They are seeking to destroy the work of God. They are seeking to destroy the Christian presence. They were seeking to destroy David. Man, David had enemies. They popped up from everywhere. And as every human eventually experiences, those that hurt David the most were those that were most close to him. As our ultimate example, the Lord Jesus Christ. The ones that hurt him most. The one that betrayed him. Jesus considered him as a friend. But though David was hurt left, right and center, though he had enemies that poked him left, right and center, he was still able to say, you have still blessed me. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this tribulation, in the midst of this tension. You have blessed me in the very presence of my enemies, is what he's saying. Like the Apostle Paul, even in the midst of that trial, he was still so full of joy. Even through the pain, and the pain was real, he was able to rejoice in God. David says, you have blessed me for your own namesake not for selfish purposes. We are, of course, channels of blessing. The enemies of God, this gives us comfort to know that God is sovereign. The enemies of God cannot thwart the plan of God. They can try all they like, but they cannot thwart the plan of God. That gives us confidence. That gives us comfort. Comfort in God, not comfort in ourselves. The enemies of God cannot thwart the plan of God but rather God confounds them and works all things out for good to them that love God, even as we go through the pain of the journey. We are God's consecrated people. That's the point of this last point. That is, He has set us apart with His divine favor. It is God who sets me and sets you, His child, apart and appoints you according to his plan and purpose. David says that you anoint my head with oil. In David's day, perfumed perfumed oil was used on special and joyous occasions. It was common for perfumed oil to be poured on the heads of distinguished guests at special feasts. That was just the custom of the day. David uses this metaphor to acknowledge God's divine favor and blessing that God had showered him with. David's acknowledging that though I don't deserve it, you have considered me as a distinguished guest, as a special person, as your very child, the child of the king. Verse 5 has the idea of blessing. David, full of contentment despite the trials, despite the pain, could say that my cup is overflowing. That tells me that regardless of the trials and regardless of the enemies, I can, you can, as David could say, through the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, regardless what season we're in, we're able to say that, Lord, you have blessed me abundantly. My cup is overflowing. Because of contentment, David not only viewed his cup in life as half full as opposed to half empty, but rather he viewed it as overflowing. Look with me in verse 5 of Psalm 23 because I want to point out once again the most important words in verse 5 is the word you, referring to God. David there says, it is you, God, that prepares the table for me. It is you, God, that has anointed my head With oil. Our God is a great God. Very merciful. Very gracious. Works all things out for good. And yes, we don't have all the answers. But we know because he tells us and we know by experience that he directs and or permits all things. He permits, he's in control of the trials that come our way. But he also says, when we're in eternity these things are going to be nothing in conclusion look with me in verse 6 surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever David not only looked back at the shepherding grace of God but he also looks forward he was filled with assurance that he would dwell with God forever it is God that blesses us with faith But it's God that increases it. As I look in hindsight and I think, man, I I stuffed up with that trial. could have given God more glory. I responded in a bad way. I responded in a frustrated way. I didn't respond the way Paul responded. But as God blesses us with faith, he increases that faith. And when he increases that faith, I'm able to look back with the experience of my past. I'm able to look forward in faith as God increases it and able in faith to embrace the next trial that comes and be able to give God the glory in that trial. David says with assurance that he will dwell in the house of God forever. Notice how Jesus, and I'll close on these verses, our good shepherd, our great God and Savior, notice how he gives us this assurance as our shepherd. He says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He promises that we will dwell in his house, in his eternal home forever. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's house. At so this time, I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes, uh, just for a time of meditation. I just want to give you a few moments um, to meditate, to respond to God, um, and to pray, to talk to God. So just have a few moments, just of total silence, total meditation. Just meditating upon God, the Great Shepherd, sitting on His throne. Meditate upon the fact that He cares for you, His child, that He loves you, His child. That he's your Shepherd. But He has you covered, and that even though you go through trials, even though perhaps you've gone through a trial, even this day, He is your comforter. Oftentimes, He uses these trials as a means to draw us closer to Him, to get us to get our attention. I trust that He has your attention this morning. I'll just give you a few moments of meditation and after a few minutes Pastor Joel will come um, close the service in prayer and then uh, close our service as he sees fit. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's so wonderful to know that you are our shepherd, that we are not in want, that whatever we go through in this world, we are never alone. We are not in want because you are there with us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember that you are our shepherd. And that fact would govern all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.